There are more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storton. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. Let's talk about appearance. Um, you know, we're again, we're going to keep on working through the uh, using the BJCP as a as a guide on this. Um, but when we when we the first thing we do is is we we look at a beer. Um, we're going to notice number one the color. That's that's going to be one of the things that we notice first of all. And for me, um, you know, in in a uh, another episode we talked about uh, vital statistics. We talked about the SRM or Standard Reference Method or EBC, uh, European Brewery Convention. If you're outside of the U.S., um, we basically talked about the color and what that means. It's not always true, but there is a correlation between the color of your beer and what flavor profiles you can project or maybe even expect uh, to to taste. And there are a lot of parallels between your beer color and even bread color. Um, and again, it's not always true. It's it's not uh, not something you can always hang your hat on, but it is a nice way to kind of begin the process of approaching your beer from a sensory point of view. Um, the other thing that we definitely look at is the clarity of the beer. Uh, is it absolutely brilliantly clear and you can see uh, the person from across the table through your glass? Um, is it pretty darn clear? Uh, is it uh, hazy? Is it opaque? I mean, um, and there are times when we'll hold the beer up to the light and look at the edges just to see um, if how clear it is. Uh, and also if it's, if it's a black beer, um, you know, like a Schwartz beer, for example, and you hold up to the light, you can see on the edge, there's some really garnet colors. You can start to see some different things and then begin to form some opinions. To me, it's almost like being a detective. We're trying to take all this information and arrive at a conclusion of what we think our beer experience is going to be. And it starts with looking at it. Um, the other thing that we're going to look at is the the foam uh, on 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 top of the beer. A lot of that has to do with the carbonation, how it was poured, the the cleanliness of the glass. But assuming all things are being equal, if we look at the at the foam, the density of the foam, um, is that normal for the style of beer? There are some styles of beer that should not have a foam that lasts longer than thirty seconds, and there are some uh, some beers that should have foam that last to the very end. And just knowing what is normal for your beer is going to be helpful, or for your style of beer is going to be very helpful. And knowing if if things are on track, if things are slightly off, uh, but the more you know what your uh, beer should look like, your beer style should look like, then the easier it will be to notice when things are a little bit off. Uh, and that's that's the quick on appearance. Aroma. Um, so as Julia mentioned, we have our five basic tastes, the, the sweet, salty, uh, bitter, um, uh, sour, and umami. Of course, we're looking into uh, the we. I have nothing to do with it. The professionals are looking into other uh, basic tastes. But let's just say we have five basic tastes. But how does that explain strawberries? How does that, how does that explain carne asada? 
How does that explain um, walking into that Italian restaurant I referenced earlier and you smell that they're making uh, marinara? How can you explain that with five basic tastes? And the answer is, in a word, aroma. If we can taste five different things, we can taste hundreds, maybe even, or if we can smell hundreds, maybe even thousands of compounds. And, and, and we'll skip the, the, the neurological sensory process, but it basically these, these uh, aromatic compounds, uh, these aromatic volatiles uh, go into our nose and attach onto receptors, and then our brain interprets the combination of those. Um, you can have the combination of, of pineapple and strawberry and leather, and your brain will interpret that as, as one thing. So it's a very complex, absolutely fascinating process. But when we get into our beer, we're going to start uh, smelling our beer. And we should smell our beer every time we take a sip. We should smell early. We should smell often because the aromas will change. If you, especially if you uh, get a German Pilsner, you may start smelling some uh, sulfur type compounds in the beginning that could smell a bit like a burnt match. It could smell a little bit of like um, boiled eggs uh, and that can dissipate over time. Uh, and that is totally normal, but understanding what is normal and using your sense of smell to be that detective is, is going to be helpful. But understanding that malt uh, will uh, has a lot of parallels with bread. You can smell um, caramel. You can smell chocolate. You can smell dark dried fruits, and these are common in malt. And hops, depending on where the hops come from, they can be herbal and floral and 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 berry type of fruity. They could be citrus or tropical type of fruity. They could be earthy, um, smell like marmalade, and and um, they can smell like fresh green leaves or dead brown leaves. Um, there's there's so many compounds that are out there with hundreds of varieties of hops. And then we get into the esters and phenols of both the, the malt, the hops, but also of, of uh, yeast as well. And these are different compounds. I think the big thing is to learn what is normal, what is is uh, uh, good for this style. So when you smell something that's off, like for example, if you smell something like plastic bucket or band-aids, that's something that shouldn't necessarily be there. Um, and, and that's where using your sense of smell, knowing what the style should be, then you can detect, is this good? Is this fresh? Uh, and are there any problems? Should I serve this to my guest? Um, and should we recommend something different? Um, so you can use this power of smell to your advantage, not only to recommend something good, but avoid something bad. And that's that's all I have to say about aroma. That's great. And I feel like I've kind of covered taste and the basic taste already. What I'll kind of do is pivot, though, in the um, in the approach to this topic. Tasting table side, if you're judging beer, for example, I, I want to riff on that for a moment. I mean, uh, Jeremy's heard me say this, but I'm a hundred pounds in a wet towel, you know, <laughs> less, less on a light day. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm very petite statured woman. And if I sit down to judge beers, a great American beer festival, which I've done for more than 10 years, um, I'm often the only judge spitting in the cup. Here's my technique though on taste. First of all, what Jeremy just overviewed for aroma, I go for aroma and appearance first right? Document appearance gets my head in the game for what's in the glass. Then I calibrate by aroma. 
And then I taste and then I go back to aroma to see how things have changed as well as taste again. But when I taste, I, in a day where, you know, you're judging 10, 12 beers at a time each flight, if you do four flights in a day, five or six flights in a day, that's a lot of beer. I will have maybe by the end of the day drinking, you know, a half pint to a pint because I will sip it in just the minuscule amount, most minuscule amount possible, milliliters, right? Very, very little amounts. And then have a spit cup next to me and spit. The difference between wine judging and beer judging, and this is a whole topic for a whole nother day, you know, is, is very, I think, um, uh, uh, significant. One thing that beer uh, judges will argue, though, is really to perceive the bittering agents. You need to actually ingest the beer. Um, and so I do ingest a little bit, but not the full amount. And therefore, I'm ingesting less alcohol. So that's a good one to kind of um, put at. And then also as the temperature changes, the beer flavor will change as well. So I think that's important. Um, in sensory tasting, if you've sat for any of the tests and you get served off flavors, Sometimes it takes, you know, as the volatile compounds will um, volatize up and out of the glass and the temperature warms up, then bam, your mind can kind of really dial into it. So as time elapses, when you're tasting beer, um, give yourself some, uh, a chance for that beer to warm up. Just if you're served a, you know, imperial stout or whatever, that, that beer is really going to change over time and you're going to get a lot more essence of what it's about. And then, Jeremy, we definitely covered mouthfeel on our list. So I'm going to toss it back to you um, for, you know, associated flavors, pertinent negatives, and then take us home. Yeah. And if can I, I want to throw something in for taste real quick, I, th I think is valuable. Um, the uh, we actually uh, have discovered that we actually have taste buds in some very unexpected parts of our body, not just our mouth and throat. And so as you're alluding to, we do need to swallow the beer. Um uh, which is so that we can taste the different aspects of it. And I just want to throw out two, two uh, terms that I think are valuable. The way that we all taste anything is there's a fancy word for it called orthonasal. And that's where we put something in our mouth. We taste it, then we swallow it done. What we need to start doing as professionals is start uh, employing our retronasal. Um, and that's where, as Julie's talking about, you ingest even just a little bit. If you're if you're petite and you don't want to get drunk by the end of judging at GABF, then you taste just a little bit and then you uh, exhale through your nose. And it's almost like for me, that's that's like getting taste in stereo. Um, if you're doing uh, orthonasal tasting, then you're just getting uh, out of it from one speaker. When you taste your ortho and your retronasal passages, then you're getting surround sound uh, uh, taste experience. And that's important so that you can gather as much information as you can, like I said, so that you can then use it for uh, professional powers of good and, and help get rid of uh, the bad beer. Um, and so that's just something I think is uh, uh, valuable to throw out there. Um, for me, when I go through the tasting process, both professionally, even, uh, judging, um, you know, again, we're, we're going through, what does the beer look like? I'm smelling it, uh, early. I'm smelling it often. I'm smelling it every time I bring it to my mouth. Um, and sometimes I'm smelling it without bringing it to my mouth. Um, because the flavors change, especially as it warms up, uh, the, the aromas change as it warms up. And so I want to see how this beer changes. Um, uh, and then mouthfeel, like you said, you mentioned that, and that's just another part of it perceiving. So when we put all this stuff together, we get an overall picture of what this beer is trying to tell us. 
for me, uh, back in back in my earlier days, I did work in the medical field, and so I I brought some of that experience to this. And one of the things I added to this list that is not on a list, but the list that I have is I'm looking for associated flavors, and those are flavors that that uh, that are there, but they shouldn't be there. And and the better you understand these styles then the more you can catch these. And a good example would be, uh, for example, um, a, a German uh, Weiss beer. You, can, you will have banana, you will have clove, and it's pretty common to have some bubble gum, but you should not have that struck match flavor. Um, uh, it's, in a Belgian beers, it's common to have that bubble gum flavor, but you should not have that in, uh, in English beers or American Blonde. Um, but if you're tasting bubble gum, uh, it's not an undesirable flavor, but... But if you know the styles, you should know that I'm tasting something that's not typical for the style. What's going on here? The opposite of that would be the pertinent negative. Um, it's something that should be there, but just isn't. And it, I'll go back to that German uh, Weiss beer example. Those beers are are iconic for being uh, uh, banana bread in a glass. It should have banana, should have clove. If you're missing either one of those, then something is really off. If you're tasting a Belgian beer and there are no phenols whatsoever, then something is off. So you can use this perception of your senses and your awareness of the styles to determine, is this a good sample that we're going to give to our guests or should we choose something else or do I want to drink something else? The, the more you are aware of this uh, sensory experience, the, the more you can use it as a tool uh, in your toolbox. Yeah. So um, th uh, there's there's a lot more out there. There's a lot of tasting re re uh, resources out there, craftbeer.com and and through the BJCP that we'll, we'll have in our resources, all that sort of stuff. Is there anything else you want to add to this the overall, a, a quick overview of the tasting process? No, I think it is time to take us home because we could go further and you will down the rabbit hole of this great topic. Yep. There's so much to get to know, um, you know, uh, physiological wise how we taste and perceive and jeremy triggered it uh perception is uh personal right so that's really a whole nother topic is my my apricot might be your peach right my too bitter might be not bitter enough for you my too spicy might be not spicy enough for you so it's it's a personal topic um tim hanoi a, a great uh educator in wine who's also counseled me over the years has said, you know, when we're table side and we try to find out what we want to serve somebody beer wise, uh, unless we know their preferences, it's like trying to fit somebody in the same size shoe to put to fit everybody in the same size shoe instead of adjusting what you give them based on their individual makeup. So that's a teaser for a whole nother day. Um, I think we've done a great job, at least in, in higher level, uh, you know, certainly a little bit lengthier time, but what a fun show. Um, you know, trying to talk about tasting like a pro, if you're really going to dive into the topic, understanding how the brewing process really gets to flavor and contributes to flavor, and then flavor development, appearance also does trigger flavor compounds and um, concepts, aroma, taste, mouthfeel, how flavors of fusion, and then there's associated or pertinent negative flavors, all very, very important stuff on this awesome, amazing topic. And yes, we will share resources for you to continue to dive deeper. But until next time, cheers. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to Essence of Beer Style, the essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. With advanced Cicerones, me, Julia, and me, Jeremy. Tune into the next episode as we continue exploring the world of beer styles and what to make of them. We encourage you to listen to the prepisodes to build your foundation and better understand beer styles. And before the next episode, I'd like to ask you to review the show and let us know what you'd like featured in upcoming episodes. Until next time, here's to you and your sense of beer style. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.